You're listening to the WBAI Evening News presented by The Independent, New York City's progressive newspaper and website. Now in its 20th year of publishing, you can find us at independent.org, I-N-D-Y-P-E-N-D-E-N-T dot O-R-G. I'm John Tarleton, the Indies Editor-in-Chief. In our second segment, we'll continue to delve into the city's plans to partially reopen its public school system. For working parents, child care is going to be essential if their kids are only in class one to three days per week. But can that even work? Well, we're now joined by Elizabeth Pally, a professor of social work at Adelphi University and the co-author of In Our Hands, The Struggle for U.S. Child Care Policy. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Thank you. You bet. So for starters, can you describe the, the current uh, patchwork system of child care that exists here in New York City? That's the starting point for the sure. situation we're in? Um, there are a number of different ways that children get child care in New York City. First of all, there's kind of most recently universal pre-K for four-year-olds. Um, in addition to that, some children who are three are eligible for universal care. So those are predominantly children who come from families who where the families make 200% or less of the poverty line. Um, now... Universal pre-K is provided in multiple kinds of settings. It's provided some in subsidized care settings, some in child care settings, and some in religious or private day schools, and some in school districts. So it's like it's all over the place. In addition to universal pre-K, there's, there are also subsidized child care centers uh, called early learn centers, and there are also subsidies for families who are low income. Now, in theory, it sounds like anybody who makes 200% or less than the poverty line would get would be eligible for child care. In fact, half of the children in the city are, but only one out of seven infants and toddlers are actually able to access that care, about 45% of three- and four-year-olds. In addition to center-based care, there is also family care. So children under three... 91% of them are in family-based care, and that's licensed care in the city. Toddlers who are children from one to three, 70% of them are in family-based care. 30% are in center-based organizations. Um, the, those who are not receiving any kind of subsidy, the cost of care is incredibly expensive. So just on average, and that means a lot of people are paying more, um, the cost of care for children under two is around 16000 and uh, for children who are two to five, it's around between eleven and 12000 just to give you a sense of that. Right. And, and, and before we delve more into the, the present situation, uh, I want to look back for, for just a moment to better understand how we got here. Uh, in the early 1970s, when women began to enter the workforce in large numbers, there was a push in Congress to create a national child care system that almost succeeded. Uh, I believe you've written some about this. Can you talk about that legislation, what it would have provided, and why it ultimately failed? Sure. So in 1971, the Comprehensive Child Development Act, um, which was would have been a national network of federally funded child care centers with tuition subsidy, it would have been sliding scale, um, was passed by the House and the Senate. Nixon vetoed that. And it ultimately would have been that they had budgeted about $10 billion of today's money, and the goal was to expand it. 
Um, and when Nixon vetoed it, his idea was really not just to veto it, but to completely bury the idea of child care. So he talked about the Sovietization of American children and really tried to make child care seem dangerous, right? Like it was, we were going to indoctrinate our children. We weren't families. We're no longer going to raise their own children. And it, in many ways, they were successful because that after the Comprehensive Child Development Act was vetoed by Nixon, it kind of went off the radar. Advocates began to advocate for piecemeal things like expanding Head Start, um, more recently focused on pre-K expansion, you know, increasing funding for care for low-income children. But nobody really looked at or tried strongly to advocate for universal care. It just really didn't, didn't have any traction after that. Right. Well, that's unfortunate that that kind of uh, right-wing uh, uh, scaremongering uh, succeeded. Uh, in c- coming back to the present, with the city currently planning to reopen its 1,800 public schools for anywhere from one to three days a week, depending on the the, the condition of the school and how crowded it is, um, we're looking uh, potentially at the need for child care uh, massively increasing if parents are going to be able to return to work full-time. Uh, and is this even a realistic scenario? Given given, given what we have in the city right now? Yeah, I don't think it is. I mean, for one, you're talking about families, you know, first of all, one way that families have traditionally cared for children is grandparent care. That's very fraught in the time of COVID. But you don't want to bring your children who are going to school part-time to their grandparents' house and potentially kill your parents. Um and another reason that it's fraught is the child care workforce is paid on average nationally about $12 an hour. So in, you know, in New York, minimum wage is a little bit higher than it is in the rest of the country. But early care educators are making about $27,000 a year, which is only a few thousand dollars more than the federal poverty line for a family of four. So how are you going to get all these workers? In addition, many of them need training and skills to be licensed care providers. So um, it doesn't seem feasible. Also, your previous call, your previ- the woman you were interviewing just a minute ago, talked about really the need for additional funding for schools to ensure that they're safe. The same thing is true for child care, right? They need proper cleaning equipment. They need... Um, right. They need to make, the, make these facilities any- safe. And they need to train the staff to do it. Um, they've talked about some of the requirements in the city guidelines are limiting sharing of toys and supplies. That's a big additional cost to these child care agencies that, as I may not have mentioned earlier, are really run on a shoestring. Family care providers, these people are not, they don't have a lot of resources. They're not making a lot of money. In fact, right. um, we're, we're running out of time here, but we have, we have time for one more question, which or would likely go under. Mm-hmm. Right. So go um, given all this, uh, what's your prescription for what should be done if schools can't fully reopen and there's not enough child care available to meet parents' needs? Uh, what's what's another uh, scenario here that we should be looking at we need in to terms of what can be done? Support. We need to provide income support for families. In, this is already done in most Western European countries. In addition to providing universal child care on a sliding scale 
or heavily subsidized childcare. They also provide family leave, and many countries provide stipends for a child. We need to do the same. You know, we need to support oh. parents who, like your previous caller, feels that they need to stay home to keep their children safe. Okay, well, we'll have to leave it there, but Elizabeth Powley, Professor of Social Work at Adelphi University, thank you for joining us tonight on WBAI Evening News. Thank you very much.